All right, now it says it's recording. So I think we're we're good to go with uh, Courtney and Den talking season one, episode one. We have to have a season. I have a, I have a feeling that this is gonna probably be a long-term project. So go seasonally. Break yeah, go, from... like any show, right? Like you, you watch a show on Netflix, there are seasons, season one, season two. Like for us, I don't know, 12 episodes a season, 24 episodes a season, once a week, once a month, whatever it will be. A season of figuring out what in the hell we're doing. Yeah, no, that's that. That's exactly what the season is about. That, I mean, that's your idea of you know Courtney and Dan talking. That's the name of the show. So I like the working title. <laughs> so what are we going to be talking about today, Courtney? What's the what's the topic? So today we're going to just discuss a little bit about remote working, and it's a topic that has really come to the forefront of many people's minds recently with the outbreak of the coronavirus and all the news around uh, workplaces shifting their workforce digitally. Um, remote work's been a lot around for a long time. So there's been contractors, there's been companies that have been kind of leading the charge and working remotely for quite a while. I mean, um, I know Stack Overflow for a fact has been uh, doing this for 10 plus years, roughly that. Um, but I'm sure there's other companies and, and freelancers for sure that have been doing, doing this much longer, uh, freelance uh, web developers and engineers. Right. So t tell me more about kind of what do you do? I think that this is kind of, we should start with intros because a lot of people probably watching this or listening to this have no idea who we are. Why are we talking about remote? Yeah. Do you want to go first? Go ahead. Uh, sure. Yeah, no. So uh, I'm Dan. Uh, I'm a senior product manager at Microsoft and I'm uh, driving some of the docs, the Microsoft.com user experiences. So I've been working on technical documentation for now. What is it? Like I started in October, 2015, so it's about going on five years now in documentation and about six years of Microsoft, out of which three years were remote. Uh, so I moved to Canada not too long ago, well, three years ago, and I've been remote ever since. Same team. So how was that transition for you? It's, it's jarring, not going to lie. It, it was a little bit of a what the heck do I do? Kind of when most of my team is actually in Redmond and I'm the only one that moved to Vancouver and it was very jarring because I had to figure out a lot of these remote best practices. You know, I'm um, reading articles from Jason Freed, David Hennemeyer Hansen, and, you know, they're talking about all these remote best practices. And I, you know, at, at the time I was reading a lot of those. I was like, oh, this is nice. This is all remote work. But then when I actually started being remote, it's like, oh, maybe I should reread that and actually put it in practice. It was <laughs> totally new. It was such an adjustment period. It took me probably a year to figure out how to do things the right way. How did it go for you? Because you've, you've been remote for quite some time. Yeah, so I've been remote. Um, it's been about seven, eight years now. Wow. Uh, I, started, I started at an agency called Universal Mind, and they were... They had many remote uh, contractors, uh, many remote freelancers that they worked with. Um, but I was actually a full-time employee. And the way the organization was structured is um, they had basically a user experience agency. Um, in my background, I'm uh, in my day job, I'm a product designer. So uh, I work with Den at Microsoft, um, building and designing products and mainly doing you know visual U UI, uh, user experience work. Um, but Universal Mind is kind of where I cut my teeth on remote work. So uh, they had had some experience doing this in the past when I came into the organization. So they were prepared to have a remote worker 
Um, the interesting thing was that they actually had their user experience studio was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So there were 15, 16 designers in an office. And I was the only full time that wasn't in the office. Um, wow. So that started to become more and more of a problem the longer I was there. So what happens is you have this like, you know, tribe there in Grand Rapids. Um, and there are conversations that you're left out of. Um, wasn't a huge deal when it comes to maybe a particular client because you were kind of siloed on a, on a client project. Um, but when it comes to like professional development or networking with fellow designers, uh, that can become an issue. So how did you build a network? I'm just purely curious since you, you talked about that, uh, because that, that's a challenge that a lot of remote workers have when you're not in the office and most of the people are in the office. How do you do that? Right. What yeah, worked for you? I guess I, I will also add that um, I'm located in, in Indiana, so I'm in the mid, I'm actually in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in farm farm country, Indiana, and there's not a lot of opportunity to connect. Uh, the biggest city is Indianapolis, so if I want to, you know, travel to a conference, usually I try to go there or Chicago. Um, but honestly, it's just kind of maintaining a really good, strong virtual presence. That's what I've always put a lot of emphasis on, both in my like networking through Twitter, things like LinkedIn. Um, not a lot of, not really a whole lot of like in-person things, honestly. Um, if I have a chance and I go to a conference, obviously, yes, I'm going to try to um, make good connections with people. But I think you probably know this. When you go to a conference, there's so many people and there, there's so much going on. It's hard to bit, build like a deep mm. relationship with anybody. Right, right. Yeah. And a good conversation and that's it. Yeah, I, I think conferences to me, it's a lot of times I see friends that I already know, like yourself, I see my coworkers, but it's rarely where I'm in the kind of mode of, oh, I'm expanding my network to so many new people that will kind of closely work with me through the, you know, short, long term, whatever that might be. Do you ever go to things like meetups? I, I hear a lot of people talk about, you know, if you have a big city around you, you can always go to a meetup on startups or Python or ML, whatever your interest is. Do you ever go to those? I used to. Um, so probably six or seven years ago, that was like my main way of, you know, I would get out and I would go to local, the local um, design uh, events and I would try to present, um, make some, I did make some good connections. So um, actually, a guy I work for at Microsoft uh, right now, he was a connection from a in-person event that I went to. So I wouldn't say that that was totally like, that's not the way I do things today. Um, I think that people are a lot more socially active on uh, Twitter now, and I definitely use those avenues to participate. So a lot of people hold like meet, like hangouts. I can join somebody that's holding like an AMA and they're doing a hangout format like this, right? And I can just join it. So I think that the world, the tech world has definitely moved more towards like having a virtual presence, being able to interact that way, being able to connect and network that way. And it not just being like entirely in-person conference driven. Right. And I think even the recent events are showing us that a lot of times you'll be forced to have these remote events or remote conferences or remote meetups because it, it just... I feel like it's even more inclusive because then you get a larger audience that can participate, right? Not everybody can fly into a city. Not everybody can buy a ticket and go in and pay for the hotel. Versus when it's online, anybody can come in. It's fascinating to see over the last three years, 
things shift this way with the rise of Discord, uh, Slack, and now Teams. So people are able to create communities, digital communities, um, that are just basically chat rooms, right? They're like IRC chat rooms. Back in the old days, um, you would have like an IRC client and you could like chat that way. Oh gosh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, like, like IRC. I, I was like ten years ago when I used an IRC last. I it's still know. alive, right? It I still exists. In, I was in middle school and early high school, so this would have been like the year two thousand two. Um, My gosh, remote connections before remote connections. Talk about that. So there was a there was actually like a World of Warcraft IRC group that like I are you like, serious? My teeth. Um, oh my gosh. I totally missed out on that. I always went to MSN groups that were like Harry Potter fan club and I would sign up for those, but that's not even close to instant responses, more like a forum, which I think yeah. in this case kind of that, that's the predecessor of the, uh, offline conversation, kind of a synchronous communication you know, forums. Actually, if you think about it, forums are excellent for remote work. Because you post a message and then you wait for a response. That's kind of what Stack Overflow does with answers, right? Yeah. You're not randomizing or, people. It's or you it's know, nice. Jeff Atwood's project discourse. Um, like that's kind of built around his idea there is like building a better forum for the internet. Like it's not necessarily a forum. Um, right. It's made for conversation. So Right. Yeah, I think that um having those tools become more accessible, right? The onboarding experiences are easier. It's easier for people to just download and get going. Uh, using those products. So we're just seeing this this kind of even emerge outside of the scope of tech. Um, you know, I'm seeing it even in my wife's workplace. She teaches at or she works at a K through 12 school and they are using Teams um, and it's kind of changed their workplace because they're not, you know, tied necessarily to just email all the time. Um, it's actually like a gathering place. It's a watering hole, right? It's a digital watering hole. Um, so yeah, back to your original question about networking. I really feel like it's important as a remote to make sure that you are maintaining a great digital presence um, and you're curating it, right? You don't, you're staying active and you're, you're paying attention to what's going on and you're actually reaching out to people and you are interacting, um, maybe giving them feedback on that blog post or um, retweeting their tweet or something as simple as like sending them um, a message that you find interesting from maybe another author, right? Um, just letting them know, hey, like I see you as a person, not just as a like avatar. Right, right. No, I, I definitely second the the part about Twitter. I love Twitter. I'm probably on Twitter more than I should be, but it, it definitely allowed me to connect to more people than I have ever connected to before. I think I would credit actually having my job through the power of Twitter because I blogged something and somebody at Twitter, no, not at Twitter, on Twitter, working at Microsoft, saw what I blogged and said, hey, like, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about it. It opens <laughs> doors. And it's one of those things where I went to a college in the Midwest that was not a big name school. We never had, you know, big recruiting events or anything of that nature. I would have missed out on a lot of that if it would have been for Twitter. So that kind of virtual networking and building that network beyond just the constraints of your office, I find it super valuable. So 100% with you. Speaking of which, and we talked about things, you know, forums and IRC, which is a nice digression from the, the topic of networking. How do you work remote? You know, we, we talk about asynchronous communication being one of them, which is forums are great for. What's your approach? Like, what, what do you do day by day? Like, how do you structure everything you do remotely? 
Man, I've really taken advantage over the years of like the, it really does come down to async. Like that is the biggest theme on my head that I can't get out of my head. It's like, uh, I try to push people to use asynchronous forms of communication um, so that one, it's it's more beneficial for me so I can structure my day in a way that makes sense for both my family and my coworkers. Um, as you know, right now I'm working for Microsoft, I'm in Indiana, so I have a three hour time delay. Um, when we were working, when I was working at Stack Overflow, uh, we had people in Poland and that I would occasionally work with. So there was like a six hour time gap there. Um, you have to push your work. You have to become better at writing and articulating your ideas in writing, making sure you're keeping tabs on where people are active. So certain people have certain habits. Um, certain people want to use certain tools to communicate. Every organization is a little different. You know, Microsoft is very DevOps heavy. Um, Stack Overflow, where I worked before, was very Trello heavy. So you have to be familiar with going between tools, using a mixture of tools too. Um, maybe it's a combination of like Word, Word Docs, right? And DevOps. I um, love Word comments. Just the fact that I can comment on stuff inside a Word document is so convenient. Yeah, it's Instead wonderful. of having a million emails, right? Like how many conversations just get lost when you start emailing people back and forth and there's, they fork and now you have 17 email threads going about the same thing. And then you have to somehow put it all together versus just leave a comment on the Word doc and you have this yep. conversational structure. It's so much easier. Yeah, and then you can organize those Word docs, right? Not that you can't organize emails, but um, yeah, I found that it was on, honestly overwhelming coming to Microsoft because it's such a um, email driven org and, and things are done so much through email. Um, I'm happy to see obviously people adopting Teams as a, as a venue to communicate. So like two-way communication before decisions are made. But once a decision right. is made, it should be logged somewhere, right? Um, you shouldn't have to be searching through a chat log or email thread. Well, and people, I mean, people leave companies, people come to companies. If, you know, I come in and pick up a certain area that I have not been working on before, I don't have access to anybody's emails or chat logs. I need mm -hmm. to, but I want to read somewhere why certain decisions were made. And this is where things like documents or anything like a markdown file somewhere is super helpful because it gives me context and not having to go and ask my manager, hey, can you forward me all the emails that you were ever on on this specific topic? Like, who, who has time for that? Yeah. Well, and another theme that I picked up from my time at Stack Overflow was the idea of like default public. And as a designer, yeah. as a designer, like our work is obviously um, exposed to criticism and you're, you know, you're putting yourself out there. When you're designing something, you're trying to design a solution to a problem. And a lot of people are going to have opinions about that problem and the solution. So I found that it was actually an exercise in like breaking down the barrier and like breaking down my own, checking my own um, biases and putting my work out there early, communicating it early to a broad group of people, like my working group. But um, anybody can go look at it. Um, helps one, make the design better. And two, you know, final reviews aren't as scary, right? And they're not as like, uh, potentially off base, like we can be correctly tracking on the project in the design direction before it ever gets um, off course. Oh yeah, to, for sure. And, and like public. you said, yeah, like a lot of a lot of people will have input because I don't know of any single feature or project that I've ever worked on where I was the only one making all the calls. There's always going to be two, three, four, seven people. Mm -hmm. uh, our uh, good 
a friend and our collaborator, Isaac Hepworth, uh, from also Microsoft, from DevRel, uh, he wrote a doc of working with Isaac. And one of the points that he's making is exactly what you, what you call out. Uh, write things down. Having things in public and available to anybody if there is no underlying reason for that doc not to be. Because not everything can be public, right? Like if somebody makes people decisions or you know performance reviews, you probably don't want those exposed to your team because yeah. those are private. But things like feature specifications or designs, there is no reason to put them behind the gate within your company or within your org, short of them being super secret and you know relating to some secret release. Yeah. I mean, many times we're working through um, like a new product area or a feature idea and the people closest to it, they're going to communicate very intimately. Um, but that doesn't mean those conversations have to happen like in a one-on-one -on -one or like a small group message, right? Um, it can happen in a public, you know, a public channel or whatever. Um, so that other people can just kind of keep a pulse on it and like see what's, what decisions are being made. And maybe they have really valuable insight. There's been many times that um, people have come into a project that I'm working on and they're not directly associated with it, but they had really valuable input and they actually impacted the final design in a great way. So I think that is also like a, a, a another kind of maybe my third pillar, which is like serendipity, right? So you, you're, you're default public, um, but then you're also cre creating opportunities for serendipity, um, both within your team um, and for your, you know, your product, your design solutions, your ideas. Right, and, and this is where kind of the, that openness, I really like seeing what other people are doing because oftentimes even you see what they're doing and you're like, oh, wait a second, this will impact my feature or my product direction. Let's talk, let's chat about this versus finding that out you know, a month later once they ship and you realize, oh my gosh, this totally breaks my business yeah. model or it's, it, yeah, oh, I'm all for openness. I, I almost imagine it like if like I, I like to tell people like when you go into an office and you see like you go into um, maybe a private meeting room and you see like a whiteboard filled with sketches. Right. Like, there, was a, there was a really vibrant conversation here. Probably was over an hour long, but you have no idea what was talked about. All you have as a kind of artifact is this board, this whiteboard with sketches. Right. Like a public chat with designs thrown in it or like wireframes and stuff. It's all there for everybody to see. So like, it's like being able to understand what happened in on that, in that meeting room without it having to be in a meeting room in that meeting, right? Any right. Anytime. For sure. No, and this kind of brings to the next point that I've experienced, and this is where uh, you should have less meetings and just more writing things down. Because mm -hmm. I think in addition to some cultures being very email-oriented, there's a lot of cultures that are also very meeting-oriented. And what you're describing as, you know, somebody met, they put a lot of stuff in the whiteboard, but then... Nobody has the context on those decisions. You have the notes versus when you have a document or you have an open conversation somewhere like, you know, on a private stack exchange instance or something like that. You can always go through and see what people thought, what people said, and you just have more time to flesh out your thoughts, right? When you, when you write things down and you have to outline why I'm doing this, how I'm doing this, what I'm considering, somebody leaves a comment and says, hey, my, maybe you should reconsider this or do things differently or redesign this. That gives you that natural flow versus, you know, if I open a OneNote right now and look at the notes of a meeting that I had, you know, six, seven months ago, I don't remember who said what or why they said that. I just mm -hmm. see the note that said, oh, we decided to make the button green. But what's the context of that? 
Yeah. I, I feel like just writing more things down instead of just doing meetings, which not to say the meetings are not valuable, but I try to do less meetings and just more writing things down. And, you know, having more asynchronous artifacts in, in conversation um, invites people of different personality types, right? Because there are certainly people who are uh, really, they really are, uh, they can put on a performance for a meeting or they can uh, That's really a good one. Over or dominate a meeting when in fact somebody else might uh, really need some deep thought around an idea, right? They can't, right. They can't right. take it all in and the way that they work that they don't want to take it all in right in that meeting. They just want to absorb and then maybe come back to you the next day or two days. Like, here's my really deep thoughts on this issue. You know, sometimes I really value that over just like the immediate gut decision. It's yeah. Like, I'm really happy you thought this out and came back to the, back to me on this subject with thoughtful comments and not just what you had right. time for in that 30 minute window I gave you, right? For the meeting. Oh, I, I totally love that comment. You, I think you're spot on with this because you always have meetings and I'm sure you've been in those meetings. I've been in those meetings where you have one strong voice of somebody that just kind of like, oh, I'll be talking about everything. I have an opinion on everything. And I know I have a fault of mine that sometimes I feel like, you know, nobody's talking in the meeting, I'll talk. And what that results in is that a lot of people will essentially just kind of not respond or they will not comment on things and giving them that time buffer and saying, you, it doesn't matter if you didn't say anything through the meeting, just comment on the doc or send us your thoughts, you know, in a week. That's great. That's fantastic. Nothing needs to be decided that very moment. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's kind of an artifact too, of like when you go remote, one of the things that really does is an issue is you don't have body language. Um, body language and like the presence, your presence in the room, um, standing creates energy. So, you know, people, you'll notice that if you have like a group of people in the room, you're giving a presentation. If you have everybody stand and get them active, you'll notice like how much more attentive they are. And I think that that's like maybe something that is also kind of, you have to be mindful of it when you're a remote worker. You know, I love that I have a standing desk, right? Because if I know I'm going to get into a meeting, I need to be really active in, I'll stand up. Um, I don't know what it is, but you lose a bit of the, the social cues, the body languaging, the, hey, I have something to say next. Um, and you can't get that through, like if there's 10 people in this chat right now, we wouldn't know if, if the ninth person's waiting to, to have a comment, right? Unless they told us right. that. So what do you think of, and this is a topic that I know can be a little controversial between people. What do you think of turning the webcam on? Because I, I realize to me, I'm I'm personally very comfortable with having the webcam on whenever. Like I don't, you know, I, I I don't have anything to necessarily hide or anything of that nature. But I do realize that some people might be more introverted. Uh, some people have you know health issues they're dealing with, so they can't turn on the webcam. How do you feel about that? Like just having the webcam on for remote meetings. I've always viewed it as a nice to have, right? Like if you're going to be working with these people for years on end. Um, try to have like some, like the video allows us to have a more, much more natural conversation, right? Than say, not just staring at an avatar. Right. Um, now that being said, there might be, there are days that I turn my video off. Cause like I have my kids running around in the background. I didn't dress all the way. Like, you know, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get on the video chat or I don't feel like I need to add the video. Right. Um, there's sometimes I'll join a giant meeting and I'm just like, I'm going to turn off my video because there's so many people here. Um, I right. find that my, my 
um, habit is to definitely have that video on if it's like, you know, a smaller group meeting or I'm leading it, right? Um, I don't know. I, I just, um, it's just a good habit. I think it's part of like curating that digital presence, right? Uh, the best form, the best form you can get is video. So. Right. And I mean, I've heard that from people too, when I would meet them in person, when I come to campus and, you know, they'd be like, oh, you look totally different from your, your avatars. Like, yeah, because my photo was taken, I don't know, six years ago. And this is, you know, of course I look different. <laughs> I would hope I look different. People always like, you're way taller than I thought you were. <laughs> right, exactly. It's like, oh, or, you know, there's all sorts of comments, but this is, this is where I think having things on video just makes it so much easier because then, you know, hey, you, you see me act, you see who I am. I'm a person, I'm not just some avatar. And I've seen an avatar where people put, you know, SpongeBob as their uh, avatar. It's like, I feel like I'm talking to some somebody, like, I don't know who this person is, right? It's like, yeah. it's SpongeBob. But... That's one thing that, like like I said, if, you, if you're working, if these people are your coworkers, uh, try to make a, try to make an effort to be at least like a human being. Like don't be like some anime character. Not that I, I love anime, <laughs> but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. It's yeah, work. like I, I want to see a, a face, human. right? Uh, no, for sure. I, I, I feel like it's, sometimes it's just confusing because I, I don't know if I'm talking to the right person because I see like an animated character and then I was like, oh, wait a second. Oh yeah, now I know who this is. So yeah. it, it takes me a second. So talking about all these things, um, I, I think the another thing that I do want to call out is some of the kind of, or I don't want to say mistakes, but maybe some things that some people don't understand about remote workers. Let's let's chat about that because I feel like there is there is a little bit of a, that chasm between remote and non-remote workers that oftentimes people don't fully internalize what's it like to be remote. So kind of what are some misconceptions or mis misunderstandings of a remote work? To me, the number one that stands out is like the the time or the fact that it's like, oh, if you're remote, you're watching Netflix all day, you're playing video games. Yeah. And you're because work from home, right? It's like, and what's at home? At home is your Xbox and your PlayStation and everything is there. And it's definitely not that. I feel like it goes into the opposite spectrum where people start working more because you have no clear kind of that boundary between I'm in the office, I'm at home versus you're kind of always in the office. Uh, yeah, if you ask my wife, I am always in my office. Um, she's like, you need to get out of the office. And I think it's very important that your leadership communicates that like you need to end your day at some point and you're not always readily available. Um, I think um, another thing too is uh, coming from a place like Stack Overflow, that's where I previously worked, um, they were remote first. So everything that they would do in the office, every piece of equipment, every type of benefit that those workers would get remotes get too. So remotes are not second class citizens. They're treated like everybody else. They get the same availability for equipment, right? Like a standing desk, a nice chair, um, same like um, equipment requisition if they want it. Um, but also factoring in things like, hey, like if we're having a meeting, you have to set up the meeting in a way that it's accessible for remote. So having a video chat, right? Attached to the meeting invite. Um, making sure that if you guys are doing a summer party, you know, um, the remotes also have the opportunity to go, to go do their own thing, right? So they get $50 and they can go out, you know, and take a day off or half day off and, and go have their own summer party. So I think that's like a leadership thing, right? Like don't treat your, your remote workers as second-class citizens. Um, 
and make sure they have all the same types of opportunities that like a full-time employee would have like in the office. Yeah, the meeting comment resonates with me because there's more than once where I would join a meeting and I'd be the only one on the call. And then 20 minutes later, we're like, oh wait, you're the only one that was remote. We forgot to call in. And they've talked about a bunch of stuff ahead of time. And it's it's not the most pleasant feeling, honestly. Mm -hmm. But you see that shift kind of where more people start working remote and more people are distributed, where I know you are remote, I am remote. A lot of the design team oftentimes works remotely. A lot of the PM team works remotely. And then you you see that transition of now everybody gets in this remote mode of work because you're kind of forced to and yeah. your team is distributed. Your core partners are not in one place. And that kind of puts people more to be more aware, I guess, is the way to put mm -hmm. it. Yep. Um, but yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Other things I think that people mistake, you know, remote workers is the fact that, oh, if you're, if you're remote, that means that you're always going to have things that, uh, distract you around you, which is not always the case. There's people that can work remote from a co-working space. There's people that work remote from a isolated room or a soundproof room or whatever that is. Remote doesn't equal that, you know, you're always, uh, disturbed by people you're sitting in a, you know cafe sipping your latte or anything like that um that, that i feel like that's very common when i talk to people it's like oh so you probably have all these things around you like no i can still focus i can still focus pretty well i have my focus space i have my way to get into the zone i don't know it's, yeah, it's actually to me it's easier because I, I like i don't have distractions from kind of people stopping by my desk and saying hey like can i bug you for a minute it's like yeah. hey, now i'll answer in my own time I know I, there are certain personalities that like I don't do well in an office environment because I just want to hang out and talk to everybody. Um, so honestly, for, for me, um, the isolation almost helps. Um, I'm, I'm very social. So again, I can really I can really do focus deep work um, for like a large chunk of time, right? Like I'm talking two to three hours of just work, uh, which is wonderful, right? You can get a lot done in that, that amount of time. Um, I think another thing that remote employees though have to be mindful of is that you need to also make some concessions and be ready to like, maybe there is, it's not the best or most opportune time. Like I've had many calls, um, they're West coast time. I'm on East coast. I have to take the call. Like it's going to be later in my evening. I, I just make a room for that. Right. I do, I do that chore or I, um, try to take care of whatever it is I was going to do at that time of day early in the day. So kind of shifting around your schedule, um, but making some making some room to take like important calls and being be willing, I guess, to adjust your schedule a little bit too. Right. Well, and I think this is show some flexibility, like give and take with your coworkers. Right. Where you know, there's cases where, for example, we work with a team in China, and our 5 p.m. is their start of day. So there's going to be some compromises where you need to meet at 6 p.m. You need to meet at 7 p.m. But that's also not, I, I, I want to look at this as this is not the rule. This is more of an exception mm -hmm. because this is where your idea of kind of asynchronous communication and writing things down, this is where it plays in very nicely. When you have those kind of time zone discrepancies and you realize that some people need to take their kids out of school, some people need to take care of, you know, going to the doctor's office or anything of that nature where if you write things down, a lot of these problems, I don't want to say go away, but it's, they're mitigated. They're mitigated yeah. much better um, than just having to meet. And I realize that sometimes you have to meet face-to-face. -face. I love face-to-face -face communication with people, but it's it's easier when you have structure around it.
On that note, I think it is very wise, once again, kind of speaking to if you're looking at scaling up your um, remote workforce and you're trying to plot like, well, how is this going to work out? Um, absolutely critical to get everybody in the same room, you know, once or twice a year. Right. I can't tell you how important and how like beneficial the Stack Overflow like meetups were just just as a venue to like get to know your coworkers. It wasn't it was never very productive to try and get work done during these. <laughs> like they were genuinely like, let's get all these people that are really smart together and let's see what kind of happens. Let's see what type of relationships they build. And uh, that is a really strong catalyst for um, like motivating your team, getting them right. excited about like kind of rallying around something like, Hey, we have our meetup. Um, this is going to be awesome this year. And yeah, just like the the team spirit and camaraderie and like getting to know who you're working with because it can get lonely and right. um, really nice to be able to like spend time with your coworkers. And you just have the opportunity to learn more about different sides of them, right? Because like for me, uh, you know, you didn't know that I play certain video games before we met in person because this is like, it just doesn't come up in, you know, in a, in a call to discuss some design reviews, right? We yeah. don't talk about it like, oh, have you played the new Diablo? I don't, I don't know. Like this, this or that is just... you snowboarded, right? I didn't know that. Yeah, well. exactly. Or the fact that, you know, you're working with uh, kids in like various schools and you, you, you're coaching track, right? Like this is yeah. a huge part of your life. And like, these are the, the things that you would just not get to know about people short of, you know, talking to them in this informal setting. Yeah. And there's no way, like I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a college track and field coach. There's no way that I would be able to do that. And work at Microsoft probably like there's the opportunities would never align. Um, I would never be able to be a coach at Wabash college and work at Microsoft. Right. I don't have the time to local like co-location. They're not even in the same state. Right. So it just creates a, again, it's like a tag along like benefit. It's like all these um, little moments are um, able to be created just by the fact that I'm remote. So how do we convince more, you know, you talk about kind of the benefits. A lot of companies are still hesitant to remote, right? Like there's, we, we talk about bigger corporations that when you talk remote or not in the office, that is, that's a scary world for a lot of people mm -hmm. uh, because now you don't have people in the office. Now you don't have, you know, the opportunity to go directly to their desk or, you know, their, their cubicle. Uh, I feel like there's a number of things that, remote still opens up opportunities towards that compensates for the fact that people are not in the office. So we talked about, you know, before this meeting where there is a definitely a positive effect on the, on the environment, right? Like you're just, if you're commuting less, you're less exhausted. Yeah, exactly. So if you have companies that do care about the, you know, things like climate change and things like the effect on the environment, there you go. Just having a remote workforce minimizes that significantly. Think about okay. your your taxes. My taxes go to the lo the town that I grew up in that would otherwise not have had me. So right. it reduces the idea of what they call like, you know, brain drain. Like right. these smart, intelligent people. I'm not saying I'm smart and intelligent. What I'm saying is we all are. People, Let's be realistic. We all are. Leave the community, right? The people that you right. need to stay and like kind of keep a community going don't leave. So a lot of our, you know, smaller communities are aging. This generation's aging because they're children and the people who, who really should be taking over the reins are moving to big cities and growing those urban centers. So I think that that is really exciting that remote work can enable people to stay maybe where their birth family is, where their 
traditionally they've been around, right? Like my, my wife has, um, her parents have been farming this area for a long time. Like we're going to take over that farm someday. Uh, once again, not, not possible if I lived in Washington. So, um, yeah, I think that there's like, obviously too, you know, tax, there's the tax base thing. There's the fact that, you know, a home in Indiana is only $150,000, right? Right. 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 Cost of land is way 2,500 square feet. Like that's, that's a benefit to me. Right. And yeah. probably my children. Um, so yeah, I, I think back to your original question, it's like, how do you start convincing these companies or how do companies start moving this way? But like, it's really hard when you're on like a hourly billing cycle. Yeah. Like you're tracking, you're tracking little tiny hours. It's like, yes, you can do remote that way. And I did do it that way when I was at universal mind billing to a client. Um, but the clients understood, Hey, these, these workers are distributed. They're going to be available at different time zones. And so you just have to set that expectation. Can you trust your workers? That's the second thing. Um, is it a trust issue? Like, do you feel like the people that you have employed are one necessary and two, like, are they getting the job done? Are you setting yeah. clear expectations for what needs to be done? Um, I think anybody who's given a remote position has a ton of responsibility um, to get their shit done. Like, yeah, get your stuff done. But it's actually a motivator because if you get your stuff done, you have more time for the things you love to do. So I think that's the difference. That's that's the big difference between tracking time spent on a problem versus tracking impact. Right. Because yeah. like you can spend two hours on a problem and have tremendous impact versus somebody that spends eight hours in an office and doesn't have nearly that. And I'm not saying that somebody that works in an office has less impact. It's not absolutely not the case, but just valuing uh, the impact by time spent seems to be a little off. Right. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's like if I get things done, does it matter where I am getting those things done? Probably not. No. And I mean, and also the thing that, you know, talent is everywhere. It's not just those hubs. And you have sometimes talent that just cannot move for some reason. Somebody's taking care of their parents. Somebody is, uh, you know, their kids are in school and pulling them out of school is going to be add a lot of complication to their life. They can't move. They can't relocate. Do you just miss out and pass on that talent and just say, like, sorry, we cannot hire you? Yeah. Right. Uh, and it's as, like, I oh, mean, we are we are an innovative and cutting edge company, but we only hire like within 30 mile radius of our city. Right. Like, what? Like, right. Exactly. And the, the thing about it, too, is with the modern technology, I mean, we have teams, we have Zoom, we have Slack, Hangouts, you name it. There's tools to make the connection easy. I realize that also probably the challenge of broadband Internet and kind of the broadband penetration is not quite equal yet in North America or even, you know, Eastern Europe, for example, where I'm coming from. A lot of the population doesn't have access to Internet if you're like in some village somewhere, but it's getting there. And kind of the barriers to the barriers of entry are getting slowly removed and you have more of the opportunity, better Internet. You have the tools, you have the tools that are inexpensive. There are tools that are free. Use Skype. I don't care. Um, that open these doors. So we no longer have the excuse of saying, oh, it's hard to do remote because we can't connect people. You can connect to them anywhere. I, I will ask you this question. Um, I know you've only been remote for like about three years, but do you think there's any difference in terms of like years of experience? So I think there's certainly when my internship perspective or experience um, taught me a lot and it was an in-person internship. It was basically an apprenticeship 
We're so right. we're, I learned everything that I learned. I know about programming from there. It got me in my start in my career. I think I couldn't, I probably would have had a really hard time doing that remotely, honestly. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. So no. kind of, my question for you is like, do you think that it's more of a challenge for companies that are having younger talent or junior people, right? Um, you, you know, it's a good question. I, I thought about that. And I think this is where I will, I will say that remote is a valuable tool, but with that little asterisk on it that says it depends where things like internships, uh, just like you, I did my internship in person and I found it tremendously valuable to build those relationships with people, especially when I didn't know what I'm doing or how I'm doing things. Mm -hmm. I needed somebody to almost, I don't want to say handhold, but to show me the ropes and just explain how things work, go to a meeting with a VP and present my stuff and see the feedback, see how they react, how they think that was tremendously valuable. So I would say, for definitely for junior employees, for people in college, having that in-person internship would probably be way better than remote. I would say if you have the chance to do that, that would be so much more valuable. Mm -hmm. That said, I still think that if somebody doesn't have the opportunity to do that uh, you know, in person, so for example, say uh, somebody is trying to get an internship from um, some other country, like in Eastern Europe, where I, where I mentioned where I'm coming from. It's very complicated because you have to worry about things like visas. You have to worry about things like, you know, the cost of the ticket. And oftentimes, you know, some internships don't pay for relocation. Some internships don't pay for housing or anything of that nature. It has a lot of complications. And when your internship is in person only, that is also excluding a lot of, a lot of talent essentially versus when you're remote, you can say that you know by having regular meetings with the individual, by having a regular kind of sync ups to understand what what is blocking them, if they have any questions, and see how that works. I don't think it's impossible to do remote. I, I do think it's easier and much more efficient in person. It will give you much more experience. Um, so I would prefer that. Yeah, but I, I would echo echo that kind of last train of thought because in my experience um, with younger designers, it has been quite a bit more handholding uh, remotely. So I have to create more documents. Um, I have to create more uh, standups, right? Yeah. Um, there just needs to be more, you have to be a lot more proactive as like the person managing them um, to make sure that there's clear expectations set. Um, we know when we're gonna talk um, and kind of just basically making sure they don't feel like they're wandering aimlessly, right? Um, right, right. No, I, I mean, and I mentored interns in Redmond while I was here in Canada. And just having that conversation with them about what's blocking you, what are the things that I can help you with, turning on the webcam and just seeing their reaction to the conversation and how they kind of think about certain problems is is not impossible. I would say it's definitely, you know, it 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 depends. I if somebody would ask me, would I prefer an internship in person? Absolutely. If that was not an option, would I take an internship that's remote? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I feel like it's it still can be valuable and it can still bring in a lot of experience regardless of where you are. Yeah. And I think it definitely makes it more accessible to people who maybe don't have the means. Right. Like you gave the example of maybe somebody just is not, you know, they're not in the area. Um, right. So like, let's talk about like the things that you're describing were not in the area. Like, do you think there would be people from, uh, you know, Indiana that wouldn't be able to take an internship in person? Because I know there's a lot of people from here that that wouldn't be able to do that. 
I'm not sure. I, th- I think that somebody young and in that position would probably try and put themselves out there and make it work. Yeah. Um, but you're asking a lot, right? Like maybe right. they have a, I don't know, like a fiance that's going through nursing school. I, I don't know. Right. There's so many right. scenarios. Like having the option, like saying, um, we did this with a recent hire. We said, hey, you can you can work remote. Um, he was a junior designer. You can work remote or you can go in the office. We don't really care. Um, you know, we're remote first, rem- remote um, based, but yeah, we'll give you an office space. Um, and he actually was like, oh, all right, I'm going to move out there and I'll make it work. Um, so for him, that was important to be there in the Microsoft office. Um, but yeah, I would say like, um, I think there's certainly scenarios where people might not, you know, they would, they would think it's awesome that they can do a remote internship. Yeah. And I think there probably needs to be better uh, men- mentorship and guidance and, and best practices kind of put in place. I think that we're in kind of the early stages of remote really catching on. And a lot of the remote positions that they feel like they've been very kind of senior or well tenured people. Right. And now we're starting to see this younger generation um, be exposed to working remotely. Um, yeah. Actually, my sister-in-law, uh, her first job out of college was a remote. Uh, she was a remote social media um, nice. advisor for um, Ascension Health and this job actually ended up not being what she thought it would be because she wanted to be in the office. Right. Right. So I think there's definitely those type of people too, that they want the social interaction. I think it's great to have both. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. This is not like our talk is not about, you know, everybody should be remote forever and, you know, cancel the office leases. It's, it depends on what you're doing. And there's a lot of jobs that cannot be done remotely. Uh, And especially, you know, for somebody that's working kind of, Within those offices that is helping with things like, you know, building maintenance, not every job is remote friendly. So this is not something that we can blanket say, you know, everybody in the world will be remote in 10 years. Like, that's just not possible, you know. Um, like waste management can't be. Right, know, like, exactly. There's like, so many, I, like welding, you know, you can't be a welder. There's like a lot of like trade jobs that can never be that way. Tech, I, I kind of... I'm not sure, maybe like uh, on-site, like server, yeah. um, you know, manager or something. I don't know what, what that would entail entirely, but yeah, you know, because like it, a lot of the tech jobs can move that way. You're right. I mean, if you're working in a data center and like a, there's a faulty hard drive that needs to be replaced, like, I mean, we don't have robots to do that. Not <laughs> yet anyway. So, right. uh, you know, and it's, you wouldn't be able to do that remote. There's somebody that needs to be there in the data center that's, has a quick response where you don't want, you know, half of your uh, product to go down because hard drives are failing left and right. And it's like, hey, wait like three hours before somebody gets there. Mm-hmm. Like somebody needs to be working there. So there, there are some constraints and it's totally understandable where not every company might be ready. But speaking of which, we can wrap up our conversation on the, the future casting, as you described. I love that term, future casting. Where do you think remote work is gonna be in the next, I don't know, let's, what what time frame do you want to talk about? Like, is it five years, ten years? I I really feel like within five years, the major the major um, players in like the tech sector are going to be like largely remote remote first at the very least remote friendly. So I'm talking Google and Facebook. You know, they're kind of already making strides together. Face or Microsoft right. already is definitely heading that direction. Um, you know, IBM. I think a lot of these companies are going to start to realize, hey. Uh, we can get some really good talent and it's going to be a lot more competitive. Amazon even. Um, right. You know, they traditionally aren't like really open to it, but I think they could see 
see them moving that way too. So that's that's um, a that's then, a good prediction. Yeah, I like then, it. It's it's interesting though because like you would think that they might be leading the charge and they aren't. Like it's been companies like Stack Overflow. It's been companies like Basecamp, right? Um, these smaller like startups that have proven yeah that that model can really work. And Basecamp um, has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, if you're looking for a company that is the role model for remote work, I mean, that's them. I can't yeah, think of any. They're building tools for it and they actually hire their workforce. Whereas somebody like Slack, they're building tools for it, but their whole team has to be in San Francisco. Right. Uh, that that one, like in the thing, same thing with Discord, uh, Discord app, like they're an amazing product. And but you have to be in San Francisco to work. Right. On um, and, is, and I mean, for, for people that are worried about like, oh, if you're remote, you can build great, pro great products. GitHub. I mean, GitHub is built mostly by a remote workforce. and look how many people in the world use github right it's a fantastic product there's so many jobs within it that it's it would be you know nobody would say that you can only build in an office absolutely yeah. not um no i i like that i i think i definitely it resonates with me that more companies will go remote especially with uh kind of the crises that are happening right now around covid and you know any other health issues or like natural disasters People housing, are realizing, I mean, like, like we talked. I touched a little bit on housing costs. It's like right. every time I've looked, every time I've looked to move, like I've been approached by companies or looked to move out there, I'm just blown away. I, I just can't fathom it. It's right. almost like hard for my brain to wrap around like how expensive everything, like property, is there. Right. Um, so I think that that's too like people have to weigh that when you're talking to talent, and they have to weigh. Okay, well, you're going to make me move from my nice place here to someplace that's really crowded and super expensive. You know, that's not my lifestyle. Like everybody's different, um, right? Yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, do you buy a house now or do you buy a house in ten years? Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, it depends <laughs> on what your life priorities are, but also where you live does dictate a lot of those decisions. So, yeah, I, I think it's also in you know, in a couple of years we'll see more teams being more open to the idea that you know remote workers are just as trustworthy as somebody that's not remote and just putting that trust and knowing that even though you might not have the meetings in person even though you might not have the conversations next to somebody next to somebody's office you're still going to be productive you're still going to be able to get things done and add value to the company or the project or a team whatever you're working on because I feel like right now there's still a lot of that hesitation where you know it's like oh I don't I don't know I don't quite know if I'm gonna I'm ready to hire somebody remote, and I think it'll start like thawing that that ice mm -hmm. of no 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 absolutely not remote you have to meet in person it'll get better. Um, yeah, it's almost like you know a company has to have the the champion or the one person that's like in that leadership position that's able to say hey we're gonna start making this a priority. Right. We're going to try it first to be remote friendly and then we're going to go remote first. Right. I think that it does kind of happen in phases. Like if you're an established company. Right. And I mean, start, look at our org habits of it. Yeah. I mean, look at our org, right? Like the DevRel at Microsoft, like look at all the developer advocates, pretty much all of them are remote. Mm -hmm. I don't. Yeah. Some of them have offices, but they're they're working all over the globe and they're fantastic. Uh, and then our, our product team is going more this way, too. Right. Like, absolutely. Um, we're probably like one of the first within the company that's moving that way. So I think that's pretty cool too. And I, I can only hope that this will just 
spread more widely and we have more and more remote people because i mean remote does open up a lot of opportunities i love being remote i i you know to me i was scared of it at first but the more i work remote the more i realize like hey actually i love it mm -hmm. i love the flexibility i love not having a commute i love being able to kind of manage my time as i need to and not constrained to like a, being a physical location like can you imagine if you have um you know oh i need to go and deal you know with a car repair I have to deal with like three hours of commute back and forth until I get to the car from the office. But like instead, I can just go from home, get it done, come back and be right back to work. So it's actually it's it's a win for the company because I'm wasting less time and I'm available much quicker than I would have otherwise. So not having, not having to deal with commute, like, you know, you get that time back, you're able to spend it with your family. Right. Um, or you're able to spend it doing like taking care of yourself, like getting a workout in instead of spending that hour drive. Right. You're going so. Which I think this is kind of, we can wrap up on this very important point. When you work remote, don't forget about the fact that, you know, it's have work-life balance. It's very easy to slip. It's very easy kind of what we started the podcast on and the fact that you can start in this mode of like, oh, I'll, you know, I'll wake up, I'll get to work. And then before you, you know, you look at the clock and it's 10 p.m. The day has gone. Like mm -hmm. have those boundaries, have those limits of saying I'm remote, but then I clock out at five or at six, you know, whichever the time is, where after that, you're not doing work, you have to shelve it for the next day. Shut it off. Right. Yeah, it's hard. I, I mean, there are times that I can, you know, my computer is in here beckoning me, like I need yeah. to go, I need to go see what that thread is about. And I think, you know, you caught me the other night, like I was online, working, <laughs> yep. for who knows why, like at nine o'clock at night, um, you know, I didn't have anything else to do. But, you know, that's also maybe that's a benefit to the employer. <laughs> like, Right. Some, some extra production out of me that um, they wouldn't have expected. But but uh, the flexibility of hours where during the day you can take, you know, one hour to take your kid to some practice somewhere, but then you'll compensate that one hour later. Yeah, it's it's not it's a it's not a zero sum game. So. Uh, so and another thing that I would like to talk about, too, I mean, I know we're kind of getting to the end here, but it's like sick days. Yes. Like, Everybody has sick days. And I think it's funny because when I tell people that we have sick days even when we're remote, you know, my father-in-law is like, you guys have sick. He's like, you can just work straight through your sick day. And it's like, well, if you're sick, if you're genuinely sick, um, you probably should just rest. Right. Right. Take advantage of your, take advantage of your sick days, even though you are remote. And I've, I've caught myself doing that too, where I've worked through a sickness. It's really not worth it. Like just take some time off, use your sick day get better you know right because health is like health like burnout mental health and making sure that your physical health is in good shape it's up to you to manage it don't kind of have your laptop by your bedside where you can you know wake up read email go to bed with your laptop on your reading email it's just not good it doesn't help anybody no nope and it, yeah. if you have a significant other it doesn't make them happy either oh yeah for sure <laughs> Uh, well, this is a good conversation. I think this is a nice try for our very first episode of Courtney and Den talking. So we'll see what kind of reaction we get to this. And uh, hopefully we'll get to talk more about remote work and maybe we'll even have some guests. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I um, I will also have my fancy camera then too. I'll hook that up. Nice. So we, can, we can talk a little bit more about equipment that time. Yes, that, that's, a, that's a very important topic that I think deserves its own episode, just equipment, because there's just so much out there. Awesome. There's a lot of awesome stuff out there. There's a lot of people doing some really cool stuff. So 
I, I cry for my wallet already. <laughs> uh, well, okay, we can talk about that the next time then. So um, thanks all for listening and we'll see you in the next episode. Later.